Welcome to the In Common Podcast. This is Hatley Post. This Insight episode comes from full episode 76 with Hilary Angelo. Hilary is a professor of sociology at the University of California, Santa Cruz, where she works as a historical sociologist focused on the relationship between the environment and large-scale transformations in urban contexts. Here, Hilary talks with Michael about the term social imaginary and how it allows an understanding of a certain set of social shared ideas about nature. They discuss Hillary's recent book, How Green Became Good, Urbanized Nature and the Making of Cities and Citizens, in which Hillary argues that there is a social imaginary she terms urbanized nature, an indirect, aspirational, and universal idea of nature that can be traced and studied. This is the In Common Podcast. One of the terms I saw doing a lot of work throughout this content, throughout your analysis, is this idea of an imaginary, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I'm used used to it as like an adjective, not as a noun. And then we add an an adjective to it, social imaginary. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as a good academic, I say that tongue in cheek, I went to Wikipedia to look up, okay, what's social imaginary? And so it talks about values and institutions. I feel like there's this idea of assumptions. You talked about it in your discussion uh, on the video as being similar to, but also importantly different from this idea of ideology. And so I, w- I ended up, it, it, in my current state of mind, it's, it feels like it's kind of everything. Mm-hmm. It's everything <laughs> that has to do with how we perceive things in our, like how we, and how we kind of project those perceptions onto this other thing called reality. But I don't know if we're like also kind of not comfortable with a lot of this seems to also be about like not accepting dichotomies so like how comfortable (laughs) are we with like is part of this that we don't even like the idea that there's perception versus reality and then i'm like okay have i just gone off the deep end and now i'm back as like an undergraduate philosophy major which is what i was Uh, yeah so can you help me in the audience you know because this is also a term that i think a lot of us we don't engage with it ourselves but we hear and so how do you use it? And then for people who haven't used it in our own work, like how, would, how could we make it work for us and have it be less kind of uh, abstract and scary? Yeah, so the term, so yeah, I use the term social imaginary in this book. And what I'm looking at is sort of a, partic- like a particular set of ideas about nature. And so the idea, the term is meant to refer to not, totally everything about the way people think about the world, but a, share, a set of sort of socially shared understandings about a particular thing that then um, make particular kinds of actions possible or a- account for the reproduction of particular sorts of actions. So the probably the most famous example of the use of this term and one that I do talk about in the book is a book called Imagined Communities by Benedict Anderson. Um, and he is writing about nationalism. So he's talking, and he's talking specifically about the idea of a nation, right? So as I'll keel to your undergraduate philosophy brain, right? So it's sort of like, it is somewhat of a historical accident that we live in a world of nations. And what was sort of interesting to Benedict Anderson is how did people come to affiliate with the nation, right? To sort of see this as a powerful social and geographic container, right? To sort of identify with other people within this set of borders to, to find the border itself meaningful and to like engage in all kinds of efforts to exclude other people, to build walls, 
um, those kinds of things. And how did those ideas, how did those ideas get reproduced within one nation and how did they travel to other parts of the world? So like he talks about things like um, all the things we do, we'll just speak as, as Americans for a minute, right? All the things we do to, to reproduce the idea of nation here or ways that it gets taught, right? Like in school, you say the Pledge of Allegiance and um, you see flags everywhere and that, that kind of stuff. Um, he also looks at how this idea sort of traveled to other parts of the world. And so other, other places with very different histories and cultural and political contexts might kind of take up the mantle of, of nation and fly flags and go to war and do things. Um, within that framework. So, so I use the idea of social imaginary to try to kind of, to try to help us imagine or to kind of like see intellectually that there is a shared set of ideas about nature that are, that are shaping, that are motivating sets of activities that are responsible for the way we treat these, these green things in urban environments. Um, so, so basically, my argument is that there is there is a specific way that nature is understood, and that that understanding we can kind of see it. We can name it a social imaginary. We can study its history. We can look at its travel, and we can try to sort of describe it. Like, what are, what does it consist of? Um, and I can talk about that more concretely. But that's that's sort of why I think the term is useful. That helps a lot. I mean, I, I didn't know the origin of the idea of imagined, com imagined communities, but it, it, it seems actually quite powerful in trying to understand, yeah, the, the, the I don't want to say uh, arbitrariness of statehood and like how we've gotten to this particular way of like large scale social organization. It seems like if you, it'd be hard to explain that or engage with it without some term that's in that direction. Because it feels yeah. like that's, yeah. And I don't know, I mean, there are alternatives to, I mentioned the idea of ideology in this, this recording that you watched, and I think also in the book, I mean, that is another, right, that ideology is another kind of academic term or sort of social scientific term for thinking about a shared understanding, but that's one that has a really specific, you know, there's a sort of politics baked into the, into the idea of ideology, right? There's a sense mm -hmm. that ideologies are distorted views of reality, and they're, they're products of certain uh, social and material relationships, and there's something we want to like get out of, right? We want to sort of correct okay. the vision. Um, the thing that I think is interesting about these ideas about nature, and one of the things that I was trying to make room for in selecting the term social imaginary is that they're used by all kinds of people with all kinds of relationships to power. So I'm not saying that that or the greening or that the ideas about nature are only kind of, you know, top-down um, market-oriented responses to things but we see like grassroots social movements using these ideas we see um yeah you know city <laughs> city parks departments mobilizing these ideas uh, we see okay. them traveling all over the world yeah and so it seems like and, and the idea of traveling seems important because it magnifies the impact that this this can have um yes okay and and i'll just say one thing yeah so you you asked me before does the book, the research for the book, like touch on the sort of parks I was working on in New York? Mm -hmm. And the answer is no. But but part of the reason for why I picked this historical project in this site in Germany is because one of the questions that really preoccupied me as a scholar was how is it that these ideas have traveled so far? So when we think about 
urban sustainability today or urban greening today, right? It's sort of ubiquitous all over the world, like Ethiopia is planting a billion trees and um, smart cities in the Middle East all, you know, are also <laughs> have like vines on the outside of their buildings. And so I wanted to try to design a project that would allow me to think about how the aesthetic and moral repertoire, like how the sets of ideas and behaviors are traveling all these different places. Okay. Um, yeah. This is great. So I, I mean, to test kind of my understanding that it sounds like you're taking this, the framing of the social imaginary, the way it was described when it was talking about kind of patriotism, uh, imagined communities, it's seen as like a macro cause of like these like micro behaviors that we're seeing on the ground. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. And the mm -hmm. word social is there because it's emphasizing the idea that this is a shared understanding among a group of people. Correct. So, so, okay. Um, I mean, something else I feel like I'm hearing, and this is going to tap into some language that the listeners of, of this podcast hear a lot about. So within the commons community, which is one of the communities that we engage with, we talk about shared resources. We think about like local level governance and management and how it scales or not. We think a lot about uh, panaceas, and it sounds, you know, I, I wrote in my notes like parks is panaceas, question mark, because when you talk about this traveling, that's what we worry about when we think about kind of policy panaceas. It actually fits fairly well, at least in my mind. And again, I'm always aware of like my tendency to anyone's tendency to like project. Um, it sounds at least parallel to some of the stuff you're talking about. This is a set of assumptions about how we should and can engage with nature, what nature is, and what are the and a part of this also is like, what are the material consequences? What are the behavioral consequences of these understandings? And mm -hmm. I assume that's what motivates looking at a lot of this is because this actually impacts what happens on the ground for better or worse. Absolutely, yeah. So, and I mean, I guess I should have said, so I'm a historical, or I became a historical sociologist once I went to graduate school. And so fantasy is a good word. I, I So I went there interested in like how parks offer themselves as a solution to all kinds of urban problems for all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so, you know, what I ended up studying is where does this set of ideas come from and what are their effects, right? How do they affect the way people make decisions about um, the built environment? Okay. Yeah. And so I saw slash read these several components of this. You, you were looking at a particular social imaginary. Mm -hmm. And it was with respect to this process of greening and green spaces and urban environments. And I highlighted like these several key words that seem to describe this particular social imaginary. And in the video, I also know that you talk about these a little bit, like the fact that nature is presumed to be indirect, aspirational and universal. Mm -hmm. So could you talk about, um, what work those words do in characterizing the kind of the social imaginary of greening as you found it in Germany? Yeah, yeah. So I am, a, so I argue in the book that there is a social imaginary. I mean, I sort of said, you know, this is the thing that I decided having done this research, that there is a social imaginary, I call it urbanized nature. So part of a argument is that it's an outcome of urban life broadly understood in ways that we can talk about but that there's this thing that we can trace its emergence, that we can understand its logics. And so I describe it as indirect, aspirational, and universal in contrast to other possible ideas of nature. 
So by indirect, I mean that um, nature's goods are seen to be sort of moral and affective. So, I, we're, so like that it's nature in these kind of symbolic forms, not nature as a subsistence good. Um, mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that community gardens aren't seen as good, but that the part of the reason they're seen as good is not just because they're producing food, but also because they're seen as wonderful community spaces. They, you know, bring us together. We feel good when we get our hands dirty. They contribute to the like livability of a neighborhood, all those kinds of things. Um, that, uh, that it's universal because as I kind of mentioned before, we tend to act like connecting to nature is this kind of basic human capacity right so as long as you have as long as people can physically get themselves to a park or a garden um we will all then benefit from it in the same way just by virtue of its physical presence um rather than sort of thinking about the kind of differences and how uh, people might relate to these spaces and aspirational in that these greening projects i argue are kind of mobilized with ideal futures in mind so the subtitle so the book is called how green became good urbanized nature and the making of cities and citizens so what i look at is how these these greening projects across these different periods are used in this aspirational way so they're implemented with ideal cities and citizens in mind spaces and people in mind at each period and used to kind of help create them so that is how i understand it yeah, it's nice to have a, a term for it too, like urbanized nature. Now that is a social imaginary that helps my brain like kind of connect things and make them make them feel concrete. Yeah, and just to finish the sentence, if I, you know, to summarize the book in a sentence, so the argument is, you know, urban, there is a social imaginary called, that I call urbanized nature that motivates this thing, this set of practices or activities we call urban greening. Thanks for tuning in. The In Common Podcast is a partner project of the International Association for the Study of the Commons and the International Journal of the Commons. To explore more episodes of the podcast, as well as our blog, visit our website at www.incommonpodcast.org. Here you will also find a list of the members of our recently expanded team, as well as a link to our Patreon page, where you can make a small donation to help us cover our operating costs. You can also follow us on Twitter at InCommonPod. Thanks again.